Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. RealWaterSports.com is our sponsor for today's show. They are also our retail partner. They are who we recommend that you purchase surfboards from. Uh, We always talk about their wide selection, wide variety of surfboards. Everything from AJW to Christensen to JS, Lost, Mark Richards, Pizel, Rawson, Ricky Carroll, Roger Hines, Smith Shapes, Takayama, And of course, they can ship them to you anywhere in the world for one flat fee. That is what we always talk about. But they are in the middle of their midwinter clearance sale right now. So beyond surfboards, uh, you can get gear, traction pads, board socks, board bags, leashes, fins, um, ratchet, community ratchet tool I'm looking at right now is 50% off. It's normally 25 bucks. It's 13 bucks now. Um, surfboards that I'm looking at right now are $150, $200 off. Uh, crazy deals. Just go peruse their site, realwatersports.com. Click on the, along the top, there's a midwinter clearance sale. Click on that and then click on the surfing section if that's what you want. And uh, get smoking deals. Community Suburbia Backpack, 69% off. Normally $130 down to 40 bucks. Go grab that right now, all right? Realwatersports.com. Thanks. Enjoy. This episode is an absolute delight to be able to share with you. There are a few people, very few people in fact, who are just ubiquitous in the surf world. 
people whom everyone seems to know and they know everyone. They somehow happen to be related to all these important moments, these historic swells. They happen to be centered at and know all these details and people involved with big cultural shifts in surfing. Today's guest is one of those people. And he's one of those people by virtue of the fact that he was perched in a lifeguard tower at Aukai Beach Park, adjacent to the world's most dangerous wave for the majority of his career. That is where he sat guarding lives. Despite having spent his time lifeguarding, or maybe because of it, Mark is even better known as a body surfer. In fact, his name is nearly synonymous with body surfing. Two-time pipe master Rory Russell said of Mark's half-man, half-fish physiology, quote, if Charles Darwin were alive today, Mark would have blown his mind and sent him back to the drawing board, end quote. Mark has the distinction of winning the first ever professional body surfing contest and really was completely unchallenged for two decades from the mid 70s through the early 90s. After Mark won a couple of events at Pipe in the 80s, fellow body surfer Fred Asmus said, quote, if you picked up a paper and saw that Mark didn't win, you figured he either didn't show up or the waves were so bad that it really didn't matter, end quote. In 1990, North Shore surfer Randy Rarick listed Cunningham as one of the 10 best pipeline surfers of all time, along with Derek Ho, Tom Carroll, Jerry Lopez, and of course a half dozen other stand-up writers. In 1994, Australia's Surfing Life magazine named him the best body surfer of all time, which was of course kind of an obvious statement. And in that same year, the Surfer's Journal did an 18-page feature on Mark, and that's the only body surfer that they have ever profiled in the magazine. Anyways, this conversation is overdue. I've actually been in periodic contact with Mark over the last few years to make this happen, which, believe it or not, is sometimes how long this scheduling takes. But filmmaker Tim Burnham, whose work includes Dirty Old Wedge and Part of Water, clued me in that Mark was actually going to be coming through Southern California recently, so we finally were able to make this happen on a Saturday morning in Newport Beach. So thank you, Tim. And without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here is my long overdue conversation with the one and only Mark Cunningham. Mark Cunningham, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Honored you asked me. This has been a long time in the making. Um, well, years in the making. Years. You said you started in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. 2013. What, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I've. I. I don't know. Actually, I do know. I was going to say I don't know who put us in contact, but I do know who put us in contact. I met you at. Um, a Visla event here in Costa Mesa years ago. Very good. And I was, Visla was sponsoring some podcasts. And so I was interviewing some of their people and they're like, God, you got to get Mark. Like, honestly, everybody knows Mark. Mark's in all these photos that appear in the magazines. People refer to him, but nobody, we don't have like a lot of people who have sat down and done a thorough interview with Mark. 
And so at that Visla event, I came up and I introduced myself to you and you were very gracious. And you're like, here's oh. my number. Just reach out anytime you want. I'd be more than happy to talk to you. Well, good. I'm glad I wasn't a a-hole. You really weren't. <laughs> and I was intimidated though, because I know of you yeah, since I was young, but, um, it, here we I, are. It, it just blows my mind that people know of me. It's Does it? Very much so. I mean, you know, I'm just, just a guy who lifeguarded. I'm just a lifeguard who likes to body surf. And how this notoriety or energy or vibe came around me baffles me. Well, I'm, you know, I'm honored, I'm touched, you know, but it, to this day, it just puzzles me. And so I think of my heroes in the surfing world and the amount of attention and adulation and, you know, vibe they must get. Come on in. It's cool. No, no, no. Come on in. Boggles my mind. Well, know? you are maybe just. But alive. I love our surfing world. But I mean, this is so cool. You just ran down a very small portion of some of the folks you've talked to over the years. And, you know, I said, I feel kind of Forrest Gumpish and that I've, you know, crossed paths with these people. Yeah. I love, you know, I'm just a Grammy, a Grom at heart, and I just love surfing. And I remember thumbing through Surfer Magazine on the newsstand every other month when it was 75 cents. Really? Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't afford the magazine, so you sat there at the supermarket and memorized every caption and ad, and um, I've just been a fan of surfing for so long. And part of that, God bless them, are my two older sisters who dated surfers. Okay. And so, yeah, a lot of times they couldn't go to the beach unless they dragged their little brother along. And so... Uh, and then growing up in Hawaii, surfing is just such a big part of our yeah. lifestyle or community or the way we live. It's like the Lopez brothers lived three doors down from our first house in New Valley. And New Valley, you know, gave us Randy Rarick and Dennis Pang and Mark Fu. And it's, it's, I've had well, a wonderful ride. <laughs> I know. Really, really stoked. So you say, oh, I was just a lifeguard, you know, and, but at the most important wave to surfing right and so Apparently. everybody everybody passes through your backyard and i think that the humility that you're displaying now or kind of um yeah humility that you're displaying now is what attracts everybody to you and uh -huh. so they they're all even if you're not in the surf biz you're friends with all those people it's almost better that you're not in the surf biz because there's no agenda you know you can just be friends with all those people <laughs> that's why i feel a lot of the pro surfers have kind of been my buddies over the years sort of two reasons um i'm absolutely no threat to their sponsorship dollars exactly and um i might haul their ass out of the water one day there you and go keep their head afloat there and you go. and we have fun so give me the background about how did you end up in hawaii were you mm. born in hawaii no, I was not born in Hawaii. I was made in Hawaii. Um, both mom and dad are from Massachusetts. Uh, my mom was pure Lithuanian. My dad was pure Irish. So I'm a little pit bull or poi dog, um, as we all are. And um, <clears throat> my father was with the Army Air Force during World War II. After the war, that sort of morphed into a career with the Federal Aviation Agency. So my father worked throughout the Hawaiian Islands and the Pacific areas working on air traffic control and airports and towers. So um, <clears throat> born in Massachusetts in 1955, we went back east so the aunts could look after my two older sisters. But um, 
raised in Hawaii in suburbia, the east side, a brand new bedroom community called New Valley. And um, walking distance to the ocean. What age did you end up in Hawaii? What age? A couple of months old. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mom and dad and my two sisters were working and living there. They just went back east for a summer vacation for me to be born. But we've been on Oahu pretty much my whole life. Incredible. Yeah, I feel very, very fortunate. And um, when you were growing up, obviously, lifeguarding is what you've done throughout your career, right? Right. What was your ambition? Did your parents have any ambition for you to do anything otherwise? Oh, did they ever? I was supposed to go to Harvard and become a brainiac. Were you really? <laughs> of course. Yeah. The aunts and uncles would send me Harvard t-shirts and oh my gosh. the little felt pennant and that was hanging in my wall. And, <laughs> um, but I was like a sixties middle American kid in, you know, suburbia. That's back then it was middle-class, upper middle-class living. My dad was a government worker, you know, and God bless him that he worked as hard as he did, but it was able to buy us a brand new house and send me and my older sister to a private school. Okay. And um, we got real lucky. But, I mean, I did eight or nine years of Little League Baseball. I did eight or nine years of Church League Basketball. And then I guess it was around 14-ish when the surf bug sort of took over. And... Uh, those mainstream sports sort of went by the wayside and I played a little water polo in high school and a couple of seasons in college. But um, yeah, the surfing and body surfing hit while I was in high school. And where did you go to college? Where did I go to college? I was a gaucho. I was a University of California SB. Oh, okay. UCSB, which stands for surfing branch. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> A handful of us Hawaiians had a oceanfront apartment on Del Playa. Not a whole lot of studying got done there. What years would that have been? What year was that? Punahou released me for good behavior in 1974. So I ended up there the fall of 74. Stayed through that summer of 75. It, that was my first summer of lifeguarding. I worked for Santa Barbara City, the lowest paid guards on the coast then, and I think it's still true. Um, and but what was so, I mean, I had a great time. You know, I was finally getting to California and I didn't have a car, but to see some of these incredible spots that I'd seen in magazine, oh my God, there's Rincon right there. And who is one of my coworkers, Merv Larson. And you don't know who Merv, look up, go, go to EOS and check out Merv Larson. Just Educated. an absolute legend. Okay. Yeah. And Surfer. lifeguard's a surf ski guy. He's the guy who's riding surf skis at Rincon doing all kinds of crazy things. And, um, and I remember early on in that school year walking by one night, a uh, open auditorium door, and there was one of Greeno's films full blowing on the screen. And my jaw just dropped and I wandered in there. And But to see George's footage uh innermost limits are pure fun i'm guessing you know someone was having a fundraiser the surf club was doing something but you know to see that i i had a lot of fun um played water polo went on the swim team lifeguarded for santa barbara city rode my bike from isla vista to santa barbara city and back every day uh we do workouts twice a day uh, swimming or weights in the morning and then water polo practice in the evening 
So I was in really, really good shape. Uh, 1976, the winter of 76, came home, and I was not doing well in school. I was really homesick, had run out to the North Shore a couple of times in the best shape of my life, and just went, why am I in California? Why, I mean, look how beautiful this is. And it's, you know, th that beauty has just been eternal out there. The white sand beaches, the warm crystal blue water, rainbows, dolphins, waves spouting, nearly naked women running up and down the beach. And I'm going, why would I want to be anywhere else? Uh, my father passed away. He was 59 when he passed away. And um, so I stayed home and kicked around community colleges in Honolulu for a while. My first winter, my first, I get, I get them a little mixed up. 76 or 77 was my first summer of lifeguarding for the city and county of Honolulu. And uh, that fall, a girlfriend and I moved out to the North Shore and had a beachfront house. And that was the beginning of about a 20-year run of living and lifeguarding out there from um, late 70s to... Late 80s. So were there... 90s, life, late 90s. Were there lifeguards at Pipe at that time? Oh, yeah. When I was in high school, Butch, Butch Van Artsdalen was in the tower. Oh, he was? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. A handful of times. I mean, growing up in Honolulu and not having a car, going out to the North Shore was a really big adventure. Might have been before the freeway was built, so it took you a while to get yeah. out there from Honolulu. Um, but Butch was in the tower. I forget who some of his other colleagues were, back then. I imagine Eddie was down at the Bayer patrolling. Um, you know, Eddie's brother Clyde lifeguarded for a while with us out there. Um, a beautiful man, Tiger Asperi, was a yeah. guard on the North Shore for a little while. And um, so when I finally made it out to the North Shore, uh, sadly Butch was sort of drinking himself to death. And uh, my first partner there... Um, Two great original partners. One was Sean Ross, who was this magnificent pipeboard rider at Pipeline. He grew up in Honolulu, and um, he would ride a pipeboard out at Pipeline. And um, and then, of course, Terry Ahui was my longtime partner out there. And, um, you know, Terry went on to found Hawaiian Water Patrol alongside Brian Kealana and take jet skis and rescue craft to where they are nowadays. They were sort of the founders on that. So, um, yeah, late 70s, North Shore. And... No food land, no internet, yeah, <laughs> no yeah. TV. It was fun. And I'm curious, like, that job is either the most enviable job in the world if you're qualified or the worst placement in the world right. if you're a lifeguard yeah. and you're not qualified for that, you know, or associated no. with the surf world. So was it an easy job to get? I'm... Um, the placement. It worked out for me. Like I said, my first partner, Sean Ross, put in a real good. Sean had been lifeguarding there for a couple of years, and he, he needed someone young, dumb, and full of yeah, whatever. Gotcha. And um, and so I was winning a few body surfing contests and would participate in rough water swims. And shortly thereafter, we started reintroducing paddleboard races. I, I was fit. I was yeah. doing pretty good. Um, Never strong or a big muscle guy, but I could move through the water. You're talking about, even from the California days, you're talking about um, 
surfing. We all know you as a body surfer. What's your experience with board surfing? Um, my experience with board surfing. Um, as a kid, my first boards were those styrofoam ones that you'd buy at Long's Drugstore. Mm-hmm. And uh, my very first one, there's a really sweet shot. I think I'm about seven or eight years old with my first girlfriend, Marika Bolton, and uh, with a little thunderboard between us. This is classic. Um, but anyway, used to take those into the surf, and then I must have gone through about a 15 to 20 of those boards because we'd lay them in the pool, run across the pool deck, jump on them, and try to skim to the other side. Yep. And if you didn't stick it just right, the board snapped right in half. And thank God I broke more bones and not my skull on a pool deck. And... Um, my dad was a member of the Elks Club in Honolulu, Waikiki, right next door to the Outrigger Canoe Club. And that's right at the base of Diamond Head. They used to have a newsletter, a paper newsletter with purple ink that came out. And um, it would come in the mail as opposed to your phone. Mm-hmm. And um, their mod- beautiful picture of Diamond Head and their logo was, where the slopes of Diamond Head meet the sands of Waikiki. And that's kind of where I got to, you know, spend a lot of weekends. And so I feel very blessed for that. And, of course, there was a lifeguard at the pool, big tan guy, Bill, Bill, God, I can't remember his name. But, but he was bronzed and fit and looking at the girls behind his Ray-Bans. And I go, well, he's kind of a cool dude. That, that, that's, <laughs> it looks like he's having fun. And, of course, he'd go paddle out to either tongs or old mans on his uh, breaks. And slowly I started taking my... Um, styrofoam board out to tongs and standing up on it and meanwhile all my well-to-do buddies were at the outrigger with brand new bing surfboards that they bought at surfline and i was a little bit envious but we became friends and um i think my first board was uh one of my first boards was a pop-out my sister Libby had one and I think my dad bought it at Sears on an installment plan and it was either a tiki board or a ten toes on the nose board I don't think she ever surfed it and I needed someone to help me carry it I wrestled that for a little while and then you know along comes the shortboard revolution where guys literally next door neighbor was stripping down tanker boards and carving out just these awful boards but anything to get smaller or shorter or more radical. And um, there's a wonderful guy in Coolio O, his name was Chris Yoza, who uh, really great progressive surfer. And uh, he made me my first surfboard. One of my second boards came from Tene Froiseth. His daddy was the great waterman Wally Froiseth, who was George Downing's partner in crime for many, many years. But anyway, Tene made me a board. And... Um, but I was a sort of a gangly, uncoordinated, growth-spurting teenager at that point, and we didn't have leashes. So I was swimming and body surfing after my board quite a bit. And uh, finally, an older fella in the neighborhood, a mentor and dear friend, Herbie Knudsen, he would, our surf spot was Pico's out in front of New Valley. And that's a spot we could literally run across Kalani Anioli Highway from my house and uh, be looking at the surf in four minutes. Um, but anyway, Herbie sort of took me under his wing and got me a pair of duck feet and said, hey, maybe you should come with me to Sandy Beach. And 
he got me in the shore break with a pair of fins and that felt really, really good, really comfortable. And, um, I still board surf and I'm oh, not very, I'm not very good at it. Um, what do I have? A mid length, a oh. six, four quad. I have a long board. I, yeah, I have a tray. I have a pipe board. I, you know, yeah, yeah. but mostly it's body surfing. <clears throat> Maybe even more than body surf. No, right up there with body surfing is snorkeling. Yeah. I love diving for exercise and the hunt to see what's, I don't take a spear. I'm a bottom feeder and I okay. like to see what surfers and swimmers have left on the bottom. My wife and I get to do that. And, um, I don't have to jockey anyone for position. No one's trying to drop in on me and I'm still in the ocean moving and getting pushed around by tide and currents. And, uh, so it's fun. Um, so I would say surfing has outpaced, like board surfing has outpaced body surfing in terms of popularity. Yet anybody in the know talks about body surfing as being kind of the most, um, I don't know, the most, the, the best version of surfing um, and the most attuned uh, to the ocean. I, I hate to say anything's better or best than something else. It's just another way of we'll put it. playing with mother nature. You're immersed in it. You're not on top of it. You're embraced by the ocean. You're surrounded by it. Um, the thrill of the ride on a surfboard is just so much more than body surfing will ever give you. You cover so much ground, you go so much faster, you're getting around sections, you get stuck behind white water, it's no problem. You get stuck behind white water. I mean, a two second ride on body surfing is like, you get a five second ride, oh boy, that's ride of the day for you. Yeah. So um, it's different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've all, Anybody who's board surfed, I think, right. has also body surfed by right. just, you know, because you have to every once in a while. Yeah. But um, not a lot of people have committed their life to it or the the majority of their time in the water to yeah. it. And those who do, though, speak about it in very kind of, they seem more enlightened, I guess, is what it ultimately comes <laughs> down to. Well, I, mean, I want to get back to, uh, God, I hate the phrase, back in the day, uh, pre-leash, yeah. You had to be a swimmer. You, mm -hmm. you had to be a surfer. And, you know, once again, as that Grom kind of growing up in those early magazines, <clears throat> you know, there was Peter Cole. God, yeah. God bless Peter Cole. Um, and Buzzy Trent and Mike Doyle. All these guys were lifeguards for a while. And so that, that made an imprint on me. And you look in the bios of a lot of those, a lot of that first generation of surfers and started body surfing at the age of 11. And then, you know, body surfing was sort of the stepping, you couldn't go surfing. Most responsible parents were, well, until you can swim out to the buoy and back, yep. you, you're not getting a board because you wipe out, you don't have a leash, you're up Shit's Creek. And so, um, yeah, and I was lucky that corner of the island that I grew up on, uh, 15, 20 minutes away are Makapu and Sandy Beach, two really fun shore break waves, very popular for body surfing. And now, of course, bodyboarding, you know, community has really taken it over. But being a swimmer, being a body surfer, let you become a surfer. Right. Yeah. Um, so the reason I reached out to you this most recently is because of the Pioneers of Pipeline piece right. that Billabong did for the Pipeline right. Pro. Um, it is the greatest thing on surfing that I've seen in a long time. 
Wow. I love it. Wow, that. that's huge. Thank I you. I loved it. Thank you, David. These are, so for anybody who did not witness it, it was done during the recent pipe event. And uh, they were commercials, essentially, in between the heats or whatever, right. during the cutaways from the heats. And there were one-minute yeah. vignettes right. telling the story of Pipeline, essentially, or the surfers of Pipeline. Well, it was titled Pioneer, so it's sort of groundbreakers, it, kind of like eras. It certainly doesn't tell the whole story. There's be talk or rumors to. or hopes of a full-length feature film oh, really? to evolve from this because... I don't know if we've ever quite seen a full-blown documentary on... I haven't. ...on Pipeline, and it's, I mean, whether or not Phil Edwards was the very first, it was certainly the first documented ride there. Yeah. And, um, but people were body surfing, people were experimenting it before, but from, it's, it wasn't that long ago when Phil did that. Right. Early 60s, yeah. you know? So you're just talking about a 60-year-old story here. and um, With a lot of the people who you, are involved yeah, I mean, still alive. You, you bookend it with Kelly winning his eighth at age 50. I mean, boom, what a story. And all that has happened in between. Those chapters um, <clears throat> is really fun going down memory lane. Um, there was, <clears throat> excuse me, there are budget constraints. There were time constraints um, with a much bigger budget. The archival footage that they could pull on that spot would just be mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm very proud. I got to put a plug in for my buddy, Tim Burnham, uh, Jack Murgatroyd and uh, Edwin Eversoll. They're the guys behind Hunt House Pictures and um, a couple of productions under their belt was Tim's body surfing movie, Dirty Old Wedge. And they also, I forget the title of it, but the documentary on um, Newport lifeguard Ben Carlson, who oh, yeah. who lost his life in the line of duty. And Hunt House Pictures has done a lot of other commercial projects also. But so who uh, whose concept was the <coughs> Pioneers of Pipeline? Um, I think <clears throat> I think it was a little bit of um, Burnham Hunt House uh, collaborating with Evan Slater at yeah. Billabong, and I'm thinking Evan put most of the words together. Yeah, I thought. That's what I was yeah, going to Yeah, and I'm guess. very proud of the story he told. And, of course, there are dozens and dozens of players and stories and incidents and contests that have happened there over the years, you know. But, but once again, with considering more time and budget, well, considering I would love those stories to be told. They will, I'm sure. Uh, considering the constraints, though, it was so well done because Thank you. there was only 12, 12 episodes? There were 12 with an epilogue and a prologue. So Got there were 14 little... So stories. how could you possibly have a comprehensive telling <laughs> in, but in 14 minutes. But yeah. yeah, but the 14 or the 12 points that you guys picked were very important flashpoints and the amount that you guys uh, packed into the one minute chapter is unbelievable. Oh. And maybe that was Evan's writing. I I, I Okay. He he's he It would make sense. He doesn't want the limelight, but I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, it would make sense yeah. if it was cuz it was what it did was it created context for the event that we were watching, obviously. Right. But within the piece, it created the context that came before it and came after it. It was always a setup for the next episode <clears throat> that created a little bit of a draw, uh, right. anticipation. The yeah. footage was all killer. But what was the most ingenious part about it, I thought, was the using your found objects as uh. the kind of... Um, the thing that tied the whole story together. A little bit of a thread. A little bit of a thread. A I little know. device, a storytelling <clears throat> device that tied everything together. So it was all told from your perspective. So then my question that I was going to ask you that I should have started with was just <laughs> like, 
how honored were you to be the guy who gets to tell the story? Very, no, very much so. Um, and when they first approached me with, hey, we'd like you to do the narration, I said, oh, that's, yeah, fine. I'll, I'll read the script. And I did tiny little bits of editing here and there on it. Uh, so it f felt a bit more like my words or how I'd speak naturally. Um, and then a couple weeks later, they come back to me with, now we think we want you to make art pieces to sort of tie it together. And I kind of go, gulp, this is about pipeline, not Mark and his art. They go, trust us, it's going to, it's going to tie all these little things together nicely. And I was a bit hesitant, but I'm very, very thankful and appreciative that they came up with that concept to tie it all together. Well, you, you've had a vantage point on Pipeline, a unique vantage point, and so we want to hear your perspective on it. And so, yeah, being able to tell it from your perspective, I think, was the way to do it. Well, yeah. And, and I, I'm not... I'm not the know-it-all, see-it-all guy. You know, I live in Honolulu now. I, I did have a front row seat for many years living in lifeguarding there. But I'm still just an absolute huge fan yeah. of, you know, what goes on there. And um, how about that contest that just happened last week? Insane. Are you kidding me? Insane. I think, it, yeah. It's, it, so it, it, it was the crazy... <clears throat> there's such a high on the North Shore during this week. I mean, the whole month... The whole month of January, February has just been gorgeous, gorgeous weather, minimal winds, and six to eight foot west swells pumping in every fourth or fifth day, and with beautiful trade wind conditions or, you know, no wind at all, which is sort of unheard of on Oahu. But the surf on that first day, on the Saturday, absolutely mind-blowing all day long. Uh, slowed down a little bit on the second day. Um but that final day, it, it's, I think, the best surf I've ever seen for a pipe contest start to finish. And there was a lay day on Friday that was absolutely mind-blowing. Why didn't they run? Why did... I don't know. I, I don't know who's actual privy to those... Dis I would love to be a fly on the wall between competition commissioner, head of WSL, you know. Because there are many factors, I'm sure, that goes into it. There were... The two main ones that I've heard were there was a <clears throat> fluky wind forecast for Friday that didn't pan out, and it was gorgeous all day. And the Coconut Wireless also said, more bodies on the beach on a Saturday. Yeah, I think that's a mistake. They lucked out. I mean, it was a gorgeous day, and the surf held up. Yeah, but there was wind on Saturday, too. It's all right. Yeah, well, Friday, but... <laughs> Let's not get too picky here. I, I, am, I am very picky. And the other thing that they don't factor in, like you said, more bodies on the beach your greatest audience is no longer on the beach. It's sitting in front of a computer screen, and that's who the WSL really is catering to at this well, point. Well, you know more than I do on that. All right. Yeah. Well, I have... Um, We're lucky in Hawaii. We have a, a cable provider, Spectrum TV, and we have a surf channel that's on 24 right. hours a day. And when the contest is live, you're seeing it live. And then as soon as it's over, it goes into a loop, and they right. show the whole thing all night long. And, of course, you can go to you know the WSL website and pick the heats apart individually. Yeah. Um, what a show. It was a phenomenal show. And, uh, but, but, well, you, and the storylines. Like, the anticipation of that swell and all that created all this tension. Right. But the storylines of the Kelly, the Kelly versus Baron, <clears throat> like, all the Moana story, all of this coming to a head it's was just cool. so spectacular. It's all that you want out of a surf contest. Yeah, and that whole 
I don't know if it's controversy or not. They're starting the year on the North Shore. Oh, my God, you're supposed to finish the year. That's been tradition. And there's something to that. But um, kicking the year off at Perfect Pipeline Surf wasn't too bad a deal. And um, talk about trial by fire for a lot of uh, first-year rookies. Yeah. And I guess there are maybe more first-year rookies than ever before on the tour this year. And they stepped up. Oh, the Sammy so the level of surfing <clears throat> this day and age is just mind-blowing. The pros, of course, yeah. but there are so freaking many good surfers out in the water yeah. on the North Shore, men and women. Because yeah. I'll go out there for a swim, and I just call it a swim because it is so damn crowded. I'm not getting a wave out there to save my life, but I still love being in the midst and... People don't feeling care. it all, but they're like preteens falling out of the sky with their helmets on, sticking a bottom and squirreling it out to the shoulder, making the drop. It is just amazing, you know. And it's because of the Kellys and John Johns and everyone else that have gone before them that said this can be done. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, look look at the snowboarders on the Olympics right now. Yeah, those guys are freaking insane. Totally, what they're doing. Yeah. Um. I do want to, one final word on Billabong and their job with the Pioneers of Pipeline piece. Yeah. Um, one thing that I loved, like we need archivists and yeah. storytellers right. um, giving these stories for posterity right. without, I mean, it is a Billabong commercial ultimately. So it, it there is kind of a business, it's servicing the business still. But the fact like that they have Evan employed and Evan has the background that he has yes. and is able to tell these stories, I think is so important because the way that the surf industry has grown and the direction that the WSL has gone and all this kind of stuff, a lot of these things are not being told anymore yes. in the way that they were when I was growing up. Right. So when I was growing up and having the magazines, there was all of this, some of it's rite of passage. A lot of it is just edification Right. so that I know the names of who came before me and what they did and how they did it and the evolution of things. Magazines don't exist anymore. Yeah. Brands exist for different reasons now. And they're fo- they're founded by, you know, boardrooms or whatever. Yeah. And so a lot of those stories are no longer being told. And so I felt like that pioneers of pipeline piece was similar to stuff that I grew up in or grew up with where it wasn't strictly a commercial for business purposes. Correct. It was education and it was creating, yeah. like I said, a context for how to appreciate this event that we're viewing. And I was like, man, kudos, Billabong, kudos yes. for like bringing it back to the core. Yeah. This felt like a core initiative. It did. And yeah, as we know, the surf industry isn't quite what it was not too many years back. Um, but I, I Billabong has you know, sponsored the pipeline contest. And for years and years, I've always thanked them that they've <clears throat> treated it with such dignity and respect. And it very easily, it could have turned into a Mountain Dew Yahoo extreme sport kind of event, mm-hmm. you know, but they've always treated pipeline and Hawaiian surfing very respectfully. Yeah. And I've always given them pats on the back for that. And I received quite a few, you know, text and phone calls and pats on the back for thanks for the history lesson, Mark, yeah. from young guys who like, oh my God, I had no idea. They thought surfing kind of started with John John, you know, right. 
And um, and a lot of the old timers kind of go, oh, it was so good to see that footage again, you know. Like I wanted so hard for that um, Mr. Pipeline, the Lopez chapter, to have the honk music on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, iconic. You, you put that image and that music together and it just so captures an era in a time. And um, so, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed kind of revisiting how heavy, you know, Simon and Sean were out there on the backside and the whole brothers and Dane and Johnny boy. And they, Oh my God, there's so many stories. It was epic. And I'm still just an absolute huge fan of it. These guys are absolutely incredible, incredible athletes taken on pipeline and backdoor. Well, have you ever surfed backdoor, David? Yes. Yeah. But not proper backdoor. <laughs> I've surfed yeah. it when it was that, that, playful. It, yeah. It's just one of the big, and I have no know, interest in going out when it's proper to see those guys just, have you airdrop ever, and tuck it under. Have you I, ever surfed it on a board? Yeah. And I got rattled around in one of those gullies and I haven't been back since. Really? And it's just way too fast a wave yeah. and steep a wave to body surf. Yeah. You know, I'm bottom feeding on the shoulder at Pipeline right. with a super west soft shoulder scrap when I'm out there. So talking about how great the kids are and all that stuff, who's the greatest that you've seen at Pipe? Kelly. Really? Yeah. In the Pioneers piece, you said Mike Stewart. Yeah, well, Mike too. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael and Derek and Dane and Andy. And, it, you know, there are too many greats. Every dog has his day. Yeah. And all the Aussie surfers, if they spent more time on the North Shore, they'd be there. Dean Morrison a few years ago was, you know, in line for Wave of the Winter. I thought he should have won. And, uh, I mean. He's not a name I think about when I think about great pipeline greats, but he was obviously judging one of the judges at the Dahui event. So I figured maybe I'm not fully in the know and he is well, one of the greats. Well, no, Dingo was at that Volcom house for a while and absolutely charging back door and stuff. Yeah. And there are so many, so many good, ballsy, brave guys. And now they're brave women out there. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's the evolving story. It's so fun to watch. I'm glad I get to spectate and keep an eye on it. Can you athleticgreens.com slash surf. There is no need for me to belabor this point, especially because you probably already know that it's entirely true, but athleticgreens.com slash surf is your best method to achieve and maintain dietary health and wellness without which mental health and physical health is not possible. This is also the fastest and the easiest method to achieve all of that stuff. It is a whole food sourced one scoop of powder that you add to eight ounces of water. You drink it on an empty stomach once a day. It has vitamins, nutrients, minerals, probiotics, all of the dietary essentials that you need in your diet that you may be supplementing currently with a dozen other pills, plus juicing, plus raw greens, trying to achieve what this one convenient powder can do for you in one scoop. And even better, you don't have to go to the store to get it. You don't need to go to the store to refill it. They simply send it to your door monthly. You just set it and forget it. Athleticgreens.com surf. Using that slash surf keeps us in business and it gets you a free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs of AG1. So you can maintain your diet while you're on the road or at work or wherever. So athleticgreens.com slash surf. Thank you and enjoy. 
When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Most of our audience is board surfing audience. Very and good. So can you illuminate on the brilliance and the importance of Mike Stewart? Expound upon what that one minute piece was. Yeah. yeah Why um, is he so great? Tell us about Mike Stewart. Mike Stewart. Um, <laughs> A go-to line I've had for years is, um, if I didn't love him so much, I'd absolutely hate him, because he's been kicking my ass and body. He? Oh yeah, he, he's been mopping me up. He's a great body surfer too, as we allude to in that piece. No, there's every spring, there's been a body surfing contest at Pipeline, and back in the day, I had I was doing fine and dandy until Mike came along, and there is such a animosity or a dislike for bodyboarders in the surfing world. It's really kind of weird. In Hawaii, I don't want to say tolerated, they're accepted, they're part of the lineup. I mean, all kinds of wave riders are accepted in Hawaii. If you're on a canoe, a pipo, a boogie board, a foil, sup, whatever, you know, everyone plays in the ocean there and we all try to get along, but so many surfers, speed bumps are you know, right. Esculids in the way. But anyway, Mike Stewart, it, the biggest, craziest, deadly, it's, it truly is the deadliest wave in the world. Um, Mike has been riding it for decades, steep and deep and doing El Rolos and belly spins, but mostly just getting shacked out of his mind, stalling and speeding up. And I, I, I can never figure out how to get an edge on a bodyboard, you yeah, know, yeah. but there are thousands of people that do and do it really, really well. Um, it's funny, the circus comes to town, uh, November, December, pro surfing in the industry and the cameras and they 
light it up for a month or two and then go back home. And the body borders just sort of take over thereafter. Do they? Yeah. No, the, the, most spring days or early winter days, there are more body borders than board surfers mm. out in the line up there. It's real interesting. But, um, I mean, Mike has been an ambassador for surfing or, you know, wave riding all over the world. You know, he's, he's gone on a global tours for years and years, and he still has his science bodyboard brand that he's been promoting. And he still travels all over the world for comps and promoting his product and for chasing big waves. I think one of the greatest all-time um, stories in surf is that one from many years ago where Mike started in Chopu and followed a south swell to Honolulu, Maui. I think he rode Malaya. And then off to California. Was it Toto City maybe rode? Or I, I think it was the Wedge. And then flew up to Alaska. It, that deserves a documentary. Totally. Yeah, I mean, the next epic South Swell, it'd be fun to get a, you know, thoroughly document that really well. But anyway, Mike's phenomenal, and I think most, I think all, all the good pipeline surfers will agree wholeheartedly that Mike's the guy out there. Um, he's, he's respected by all. And a good human. And a good human, I said. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's like me. He's a local Howley guy that, you know, grew up in Honolulu, and we have a respect for the Hawaiian culture and the Pacific Ocean, and... Uh, it, we try to get along. What's, I think, amazing about surfing is um, that these kind of icons, himself, Mike, Kelly, are also such great ambassadors. You know what I mean? Like, to have the the icon of your sport also being articulate, kind, uh, ed, smart, you know, intelligent, all that kind of stuff is pretty unique. Um, those two guys, Kelly and Mike, are certainly all those things. Yeah. And I feel very, very fortunate that I'm able to call them both friends. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Both, both really good people. Can let's talk a little bit about the art project that sure was featured in Pioneers of Pipeline. How did this all begin? How did this all begin? This began as when I was still in the lifeguard tower and on certain flat days and conditions. One of my earliest days of lifeguarding. <clears throat> I was in Ala Moana to make the rookies work in town, and um, someone lost a wedding band in shallow water at Ala Moana Beach Park. And there's a big commotion, and people are walking all over and stirring things up and looking for it, looking for it, and nothing ever came up. And so I did my marks for it, and at the end of the day, when all the commotion and silt had settled down, I went with my mask and snorkel, and there was this gorgeous, glistening gold wedding band just sparkling. And to see gold and jewelry at the bottom of the sea is really intriguing and mesmerizing to me. I can't believe you found it. Well, yeah, you get lucky sometimes. <laughs> what are the odds um, of But um, it's a hard pack sand there. And, um, but anyway, all life, most lifeguards and beach boys will put on a mask and snorkel and see what's washed up or has been lost. I supplemented my meager city and county salary for many years uh, trying to find jewelry. Back in the day, you'd find dollar bills in the trash holes. People used to surf with cash. Now people... Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember uh, cash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah now I, people, feel, I feel like I did that at some point. Yeah, and I mean, we, we'd find wallets out there and dollar bills 
wafting around on the bottom. And swim fins, I used to, a lot of, crazy, that bodyboarders would swim with swim fins that don't float. Why would you go in the ocean with anything that didn't float? I was kind of boggled my mind. But anyway, I would sell swim fins back to the bodyboarders and body surfers, you know, at five bucks a pop, and that would supplement the income. But then I also started picking up surfboard fins because I love surfing, and fins are so cool, and they just represent so much energy to me. Uh, the waves that you pick up a fin and you go, whose board did this come off of? How many waves did it ride? Did this fall off of Joe Blow, who forgot to screw his fin in on his very first wave? Or did this fall off of Kelly or Andy's board on a hard cranking bottom turn? And um, so, and then they sit at the bottom of the ocean for weeks, months, years, and the energy of millions of waves washing over these things, these little totems have sort of absorbed them or have been wet sanded smooth, rocking and rolling on the bottom of the ocean. And uh, I just love them. They're artwork. I mean, hats off to the skilled craftsmen that make these things in the first place. Yeah lay them up and cut them out and sand them and foil them and make them straight as can be and they fit in a box perfectly i think those are the real artists in my eyes i'm bravo i mean everybody talks about the surfboard shaper right occasionally they talk about the laminator they never talk about the sander they never talk about the fin setter the fit yeah that that, and if you get it wrong just being everything's wrong uh, yeah like it's so funny i'll glue up lay up a fin or two on a piece of wood and it won't be straight. And I go, Christ's sake, I can't, I can't get this straight. And these guys do it day after day, thousands of times, just getting the perfect cant angle setting on it. Those guys are the real artists. So um, you started collecting things from yeah. your earliest days, fins right. included at some point. When did it When did it uh, dawn on you? I don't do know. I, I, I had this one bucket under the house at, on Kainui Road that were like sort of the old school single fin glass on, those multi-layered ones. There'd yeah. be a band of white and they were real beautiful works of art. And But I didn't have that many of them because they were built to last then. Mm. You know, glassers put them on and they stayed on real well. And, uh, and once again, this was kind of pre-leash, so leashers weren't hog-tying these fins. I mean... You've had a leash go around your ankle and oh, yeah. thought you were going to lose a foot or a toe. Oh, yeah. So I imagine that's how most fins are lost, leashes, hog-tying them and yanking them off. Of course, you'll hit a rock. And um, how often, what do you have, FCS, futures? Futures. Futures. How often do you tighten the screw on them? All the time because I'm changing them out all the time. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm very diligent about it. You're, then, unusual, you're unusual. David. I am unusual. You're unusual. But, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'll even have like, while I'm paddling out, I'm like, shoot, did I tighten them? And I'll flip it over and check everything, you know? Wow. Because what, you don't what, want to lose them. They're wildly expensive, actually. They are. You know, I, anyway, I have thousands of them that people have lost. Most surfers, I ask that question. They go, uh, I know. when I screw it in the first time. Right, right, right. Most surfers aren't changing in and out and experimenting most. I mean, yeah. Hats off to those that are. Uh, but most people, they screw them in once and 
that's it until you lose them. Totally. Or until it's making a lot of racket back there. But the amount of Gs that those fins get put on, and invariably you're bumping or hitting or something, or like I say, a leash is, you know, yanking on it, and it's getting loose and squirrely from all the water. And, um, yeah, they pop out. Um, so when did it dawn on you to do art installations with these found objects? Oh, boy. My first wife was a photographer and an artist, and she opened my eyes to sort of the art world, per se. We'd go to a lot of openings and galleries and museums and just, you know, had an appreciation for these fun things. Um, and I saw how hard she worked. But I started collecting them. It wasn't until I retired that I just I had more time on my hands that I went hog wild snorkeling, just like... I want them all. They're all mine. And wherever people surf and swim on Oahu, I would try to go. And it's crazy what was down there. And so like I said, I have found thousands of fins, and they're in my garage waiting to be done with. But we had this bucket in the corner of our house, and I just started putting them in, putting them in, putting them in. And there's this sort of a sculpture that we called the fin anemone, and there was just <laughs> about 800 fins in that. And a dear friend of mine, Randy Hild, <clears throat> was doing a opening in New York and he had been to the house before and saw things I had lying around. He goes, can you ship the fin anemone to New York? And I go, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> and having never done anything like this before, so I called a dear friend of mine, a mentor in the art world, this wonderful gentleman, John Koga, an artist in his own right, and he worked at the Contemporary Museum in Honolulu. I invited John up to the house. I say, John, how would I get this to New York? He'd go, oh, my God, I'd never seen anything like this. And, of course, he wanted to build me a multi-thousand-dollar special crate to ship it. And I, <laughs> I didn't have those resources. But anyway, God bless John Koga. He said, Mark, you're an artist. What, what you're doing here is art. And I have a show coming up for artists, and I want you to submit two or three pieces. And so he got me out of my comfort zone and I laid a few found objects up on wood and God, I don't know what, seven or eight years ago, I oh, guess. Okay. Yeah. And um, I've had fun shows here and there. I, I don't have a website. I don't have a gallery. Um, but um, one kind of show or gig leads to another. And I mean, all those pieces? pieces that I made for Pioneers, a pipeline, were all on an auction and they all sold for top dollar and I was very touched and honored by that. I would imagine um, there will be a lot of demand for the work. It's very unique. Thank you. I mean, it, it is so organic as yeah. well, which I mean, I think all art, the best art always is. Yeah. And, um, and it's also so unique. There's nobody else in the world who could quite curate it the way that you do and oh, find it first of all. Thank you. Curate it yeah. the way that you do. Um, yeah, you know, as I'm getting older, all these ob objects were shiny and new and glistening under a fluorescent light in an air-conditioned mall right? and sold for top dollar. <clears throat> and now I find them months or years later, coral-encrusted, salty and rusty and covered with sea anemones and crabs and what Which have you. makes them more... And there's they've morphed, and but it, it so symbolizes this passage of time to me, and you know we're all getting older, and time is passing, and 
and part of my message, I guess, is you see these crusty old surf souvenirs and go surfing while you can because <laughs> you and your gear are going to get old and rusty and crusty and you might not be able to. And, um, and I purposely use man-made lumber that's been sort of hammered or beaten. I, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I, I like things simple in life or I'm trying to keep my footprint to a minimum on this planet. And, um, I like using repurposed wood. Uh, I, I say I say I have fun four times doing this art. The first time is when my wife Katie and I get to go snorkeling, and we get our exercise and we're swimming in the ocean and we're having fun and we're getting pushed around and it's you know the fish and the wildlife and the eels and the sea urchins and surfers paddling around you going what are these kooks doing? Um, the first time is snorkeling. The second time is when I go beachcombing. I love beachcombing. No one's bothering me. No yeah. one's dropping in on me. I'm right there by the ocean, and I'm looking for interesting pieces of lumber. Um, I don't do driftwood, per se. I, I feel like driftwood's kind of been done an awful lot over the years, as beautiful as it is. Uh, the third time is when I finally lock myself into the studio and try to find a rhyme or reason to what works. And the most basic thing is one piece of wood and one fin. And I'll put the fin this way on a piece of wood. And now maybe it should go this way. Or maybe I should flip the wood this way. Or maybe this side of the wood is more interesting. And I'll take a really long time finding just the right patina on wood or fin or pattern or try to find a little rhyme or a reason. And going through that process of what I put together is the third time I have fun, and the fourth time, occasionally people give me money for it, <laughs> and that is fun too. Um, for a listener who wants a piece, can they reach out to you? Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll get back <laughs> to them or not because I'm a really great procrastinator, and um, I get easily distracted. Um, reach out on Instagram. My wife and I share an Instagram account which is either super cool or super dorky. Like, I'll tell you, you want to look. And so it's KK and MC. My wife is Katie Killebrew, KK and MC, Mark Cunningham. And um, DM me. We post some art. We post grandkids. We post food. We post cool. good times. We don't post a whole lot, but I enjoy Instagram. I love seeing what my friends are doing around the world. Good. Um, why'd you move to town? Why did I move to? Well, I grew up in Honolulu, and so I'm very comfortable there. And um, I, you know, back in the day, living and lifeguarding out there, I had oceanfront houses the whole time I lived out there, and you could do that on a lifeguard's pay and a photographer's freelance salary, you know. Um, and then a beautiful family home opened up in back of New Uwanu Valley, and I got to live close to a waterfall, the last house in the valley for 14 years. Um, have another, I still have a little studio out of Cavella Bay, my man cave that goes there. And then my wife Katie and I have been together for just about 18 years. She has a gorgeous house on a hillside in Honolulu. And yeah, her, her life is more based in Honolulu. And... Um, 
we have a really good life there. And it's, it's hard for me to say, but the North Shore ain't what it used to be. I know. It, it's really crowded. It's really congested. They're like everywhere in the world, a lot of crazy homeless people running around. And um, I still love to visit. I still need my fix out there. I love all my old friends, neighbors, and coworkers out there. But sometimes I get tired of the traffic and the mud puddles and it's crazy. all the bravado that it, goes on out there. And like I say, our, our home in Honolulu is just a slice of heaven. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to say I'm more bothered by the traffic and the homelessness on the North Shore. You would think that that would be what you're saying about Honolulu, traffic and well, homelessness. Well, I mean, oh, we still have it there, you yeah. know. No, of course. But, I mean, that's why I ran away to the North Shore because Honolulu was the big city. It was big, you know, oh, my God, Waikiki, the big bright city lights. And, you you know, an hour away was just this gorgeous Shangri-La. And I'm going, I want to live here. I want to work here. And it feels I like, got lucky. It feels like there's a built-in limitation on the North Shore, like because they're not building more roads, development is stymied. Yeah, can it get more busy than it is right now? Of course. Can that's it? That, yeah, that's I the feel nature. Like it's at max. Capacity. Well, so do, I, so do I. And um, but that's the nature of capitalism. I guess growth. so. Yeah, yeah. And um, in my wife Katie and I, we were very involved in an organization called Defend Oahu Coalition. We. Mm-hmm did that real hard for 10 years and our slogan our logo was the green keep the country country bumper stickers and t-shirts that you saw for quite a while and the initial what that was about predominantly was the proposed expansion of turtle bay to add two or three more hotels I, i think they were back in the day they were permitted for up to five more hotels and um being a lifelong oahu resident i just said no, not not in the middle of rural Oahu that's being serviced by a hundred-year-old two-lane highway yeah. all the way from Kaneohe to, you know, Haleiwa and Wahiwa to make a huge destination without the infrastructure in place. And so it, it wasn't so much that I was against, you know, more hotel rooms. It was just the... I always said, what is the carrying capacity of our island? Our island is only this big. How many people should live on it? How much water is underneath it? Where's our trash coming, going from? And I, I wish our island had, has been ta- had been taken care of better, will be taken better care of. It was just growth, 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 bursting at the seams without a whole lot of planning on what carrying capacity was. And, um, yeah, we kind of pooped in our own nest there. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know if it'll change or not. It, it breaks my heart. Hawaii is like, it still is. How do you want to look at it? The glass half full or half empty? Yeah. And I, when you've been I, there waffle, for that, I waffle between the two. But when you've been there for that long, it's hard to not wax nostalgic. And, and yeah. Anyone who's lived anywhere for a long time, it I has changed. So. You know, yeah. that's the only constant is well, change. And so you... Which Go with the why, flow. You learn to live with it. It's also why you start really uh, concerning yourself with environmentalism and recycling and all that sort of stuff because you want to uh, mitigate yeah. what's been... Like Jeff Timponi, surfboard shaper on Maui. Uh-huh. Um, like they build a lot of kind of, quote, eco-friendly boards. Very good. Because he said when he moved there in the 80s, the landfill in the middle of the island was a crater that you would go to. Now it's a mountain. 
Yeah. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like where we can't, that mountain, we can't just keep building it. And where else is all this stuff going to go? We're right. on an island. Yeah. You know? I uh, sadly refer to us as the largest cargo cult in the world. Everything has to be shipped there. Right. Everything comes in on cargo ships. Uh, you know, some of it comes in on airplanes. <clears throat> yeah. I, th- I think it's some. <clears throat> depending on the stat that you hear, 90 to 95% of our food is imported. Crazy. There's just very few local. And it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. And that we should be leading the world in sort of self-sustaining in alternative energy. I yeah. mean, there we are with sunshine and trade winds and waves and tides and and still we're dependent, so dependent on fossil fuels. It's right. the... Pace of change in that regard is just glacial. Right. It's kind of heartbreaking. Um, So many surfers that I interview or whatever are world travelers. They spend time surfing waves everywhere. Do you travel at all? Um, I feel like I've never seen you outside of Hawaii or California. Yeah, not that much. You know, I, my budget is a lifeguard didn't afford a whole lot of travel. Um, I've been very fortunate with my um, <clears throat> friends at the Finn who've um, got me on a few road trips. You know, I'm ambassador for the Finn and Outer Noan. And Nixon looked after me for a while. I was on the Quicksilver payroll for a little while. And I got on a couple of boat trips here and there. Now, on behalf of the Finn, we will go to lifeguard and body surfing competitions. Not real exotic locations, but we come to California a handful of times. During the summer, there's a little body surfing circuit that goes on and lifeguard competitions. We're, you know, stoked and proud to be the official fin of the United States Life Saving Association, Hawaiian Water Patrol, Hawaiian Lifeguard Association. So I've been very fortunate to sort of be an ambassador for that brand. So um, I get off the rock a few times. <laughs> Do you lust after any spot in the world to surf? Yes, Right now at the top of my list is one of those point waves in Mexico. Remind me of their names, David. Well, there's Selena Cruz, Barra. Barra. Yeah. Warm water and tequila. I could spend... (laughs) I would love to enjoy those waves. Anytime anytime I see someone doing a cutback on a wave, I go, I think I could body surf that wave. Oh, okay. And I know there are crazy, hollow, fast zipper sections at both those places where a body surf would just get eaten up. and But I also see slower, boggier, cutback sections. I go, I'd like to be on the front of that. We don't have point surf in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. And so point waves, re- long rides really intrigue me. The longest ride I ever had was at La Punta at Puerto Escondido. Mm-hmm. off to the side of the bay, very popular with the bodyboarders. And I had a left that just went and went and went and went. And I go, God, this is so fun. And uh, so I like long rides what and about, I cannot lie. <laughs> what about J-Bay? What about J-Bay? Um, do they have big fish there? Yes, they do. Yeah, I'm really respectful of the apex predators. And so swimming out in deeper water doesn't appeal to me that much. I mean, I... I mind, you know, we all mind surf. I mind body surf a lot of waves. But the reality was I don't think I'd like to be treading water at a lot of these spots. You know, like one way, there are a couple of waves on the North Shore um, that are very body surfer friendly. One of them is Camiland mm-hmm. across the channel from Sunset. Uh, you know, a bunch of lifeguards will go swim out there. 
I hear too many tiger shark stories at Sunset Beach. Eh, I don't want to be that far from shore. The other great spot that would be so fun, Chaco's, named after my brother-in-law. Chaco's looks like a really fun left. I hear too many shark stories, Lonnie Akea, and out there. I don't want to be swimming out there. Hmm. Interesting. Those are not considerations I've made when I on the North Shore. Yeah, I guess. But, but if I'm I have, surf, but you I'm know, if I have board. a board, I'll paddle out there. Yeah, does, that's that, the does that make me that much safer? No, no probably but not. I just. I don't know. It's yeah. in my head. Um, final question for everybody interviewed is, what was the last surfboard that you rode? What was the last surfboard that I rode? It was maybe a 20 or 30-year-old town and country thruster shaped by Ben Ipa with glass on fins, yellowed and brown, that I found in the neighbor's trash pile. And it was in decent shape, but I had my buddy Tim repair all the dings. And um, what's funny is the day that I surfed it, here's the yin and yang. <clears throat> it was that Friday before the Saturday of the Pipeline Masters. I watched Pipe and backdoored off the wall. I went to different right-of-ways. I went to different backyards and just took it all in. But there were kind of like 60, on average, 60 guys in the lineup that day. I said, okay, I know I'm going to be here all day tomorrow, Saturday. So I'm going to go into town. And it was a gorgeous day in Honolulu. We've been having... the I ended up surfing like a one-foot wave at a spot called Seconds in Hawaii Kai all by myself. And that's the last time I went board surfing. Yeah, you, you have fun? <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. Surfing by yourself is always that's fun. Good. That's always what I fun. Was, that's what I, I was mean, getting out of the story, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Maybe you were saying like, and I was so annoyed, like, that's why. No, I, no, no. It's like, I, you one know, foot wave I, I realized, I, 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 you know, I was never a board surfer at Pipeline because I was never that good or fast or coordinated to get up to my feet. You know, yeah. I'm an old, slow kook with size 13 feet dragging all over the deck. Yeah. And so when I can paddle out to a spot all by myself and have tiny little laughs, and I won my heat, Dave. Good. Good for you. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you for taking the hour to do this. My pleasure. Thank Appreciate you for the opportunity. And... Um, Thanks to all my friends out there. Surfing's been very, very good to me. Lifeguarding's been very, very good to me. I'm just, I feel really blessed with the life I've been given. You know, thanks for mom and dad for grow, letting us grow up in Hawaii and to anyone I've ever shared a beach or a shore break or a lineup or a lifeguard tower with. Um, it's been one hell of a ride. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark Cunningham. Um, 
Like I said, this was a long overdue conversation. He's always been really gracious, even though he's never actually listened to a podcast. So he didn't know who I was necessarily. I think a couple of friends had recommended um, me to him or referred me to him. So he had an awareness, but he had no obligation to do this. So I think that's a testament to just how gracious Mark is. And I think you could hear a lot of that humility throughout the conversation. So I'm a huge fan. Thank you, Mark. I should probably snag one of your art pieces, so I'll be reaching out to you for that. And of course, I've linked to that stuff, the Pioneers of Pipeline series, and everything that Mark and I discussed on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I'd encourage you to leave a comment for Mark in the comment section at the bottom of the page, and I will ensure that he sees that. And then also, if you wouldn't mind considering, sign up for the $5 monthly subscription. You can do it on our website. Just find the subscribe tab or navigate through the menu bar. And um, ultimately what that does is it is the foundation of our business. We do have advertisers. Thank you very much. Real Water Sports and Athletic Greens, among others. And the advertisers are also a huge part of our business, but it's a little inconsistent. The $5 a month subscriptions are the foundation. That is recurring revenue that we can build the business on, that we can commit to hiring people or at least getting freelancers involved and knowing that we'll be able to keep them involved for the long term. So consider that it keeps it also keeps us independent and not reliant on the actual surf industry itself. And the model I think works really great. So thank you for all of you who do subscribe and thank you for considering that contribution. All right, we are in the middle of the sunset event, the CT event, and the waves have been pumping. It is high drama. Uh, crazy priority blunders with Slater today, all sorts of stuff. So go and watch that wrap up. I will be getting together with Scott on Spit this week to discuss. And then Chaz and I are actually welcoming a special guest, Jamie Brissick, onto The Grit. So go and grab that on Friday. And then we'll all be back next week with brand new shows as well. The never-ending hamster wheel of content creation. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, subscribers. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, of course, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and as always, shred on.